Hi everyone, it's Tom Panos with me. I've got one of my favourite people, Rick Rushton, who I consider to be one of the kings of scripts and dialogues, a practising real estate agent and also a trainer and coach in the real estate industry. Hi Rick. Hey Tom. Hey, listen, thanks for today. Pleasure. I appreciate it. I realise that uh, you know part of your life is actually uh, working and training people and you know you get paid for that and you do it and today you're going to be kind enough to actually share a bit of the best of the best of Rick Rushton sure. over the years. <laughs> Um, Rick, for the viewers out there that may have not crossed paths with Rick Rushton, um, what's your real estate story? Um, what do you do and how do you do it? Well, look, you know, for me, this is my 24th year now, just started. So that's uh, like anyone who's been in it for more than a couple of decades. Tom, you're always looking for new ways to sell old fundamentals. So for me, what keeps me going in the business from a sales perspective is to try and find new ways of selling the old fundamentals of why buyers should buy and sellers should sell. So I entered the business back in the, the boom days, had busted in the late 80s, early 90s. Interest rates were 17.5%. Uh, commissions down here in Melbourne and Victoria were fixed, so you really couldn't do much in terms of that. They were sort of regimented by the government at the time. So an average house that might have sold for 100000 in the end days, $2,660 came into the company, and if right. I listed and sold it, I got 30% of that. Uh, an average house in our town in 1988-89 that had sold for 100000 was now worth 80000 in 1990. That's how right. much the market had come back. So what I learned very quickly was if I was going to get in and rely on being good at being you know, yourself, I probably wasn't going to go that well. So I had to very quickly... Uh, get away from being just a, a nice guy to learning how to be a, a true selling professional. So as I look back now, Tom, that, that was the best grounding for me, a tough market, right. high interest rates. The lucky sellers were on a 13.5% fixed uh, rate, I think it was. So uh, when I look back on it now, it was a great school for me to learn in because I didn't want to wait two, three, five, ten years to get good at it. Yeah. If I knew you were in my office and you were doing well, I wanted to ex exchange an hour or two with you and find out what were you doing that was making you so good. Yeah. Because if I could find out in a couple of hours what it took you two or three years to get good at, yeah, I could I could model that fairly quickly. So my real estate story was I went in the sales, did okay, sold a lot my first six to twelve months. Um, I sold plenty. I sold heaps. I sold my car. I sold some furniture. <laughs> like it, uh, it was. A, I didn't do anything early on. I was just going on, you know, meeting people, having some nice engagement with people, but couldn't get them to close. And that was my first introduction to learning about scripts and dialogues. Right. My first boss at the time said. I think you're, you're likeable, I think you've got great drive, you've got good energy, but people just aren't buying into you for whatever reason. And we'd worked out that in my early 20s, I probably looked late teens, right. even though I was married. Right. I had my own home, Tom. Right. Uh, but people were sort of feeling like I was probably still a little bit young. So what I had to learn very quickly was, let's learn from those who are doing it well. Yeah. And what I learned from those particular individuals at the time was to say, people don't hire a birth certificate. They don't care what the numbers are on your birth certificate. What they worry about is what numbers are in the contracts that they're going to sign off on. Right. You've got to explain to them that it's not about your age. It's about what number you can put into an offer for them. It's all about not so much what you do, but more importantly, does what you do work? Right. And so I knew what I did worked. It just didn't work on a global scale, if that made sense. It only worked for people who knew me through family connections. And then in them days, I had to sort of get out and find out what was out there. But as probably you and I both know, in the late 80s, early 90s, there was no real Australian reference point for scripts and dialogues. It was all American-based. It was Tom Hopkins. It was a lot yeah. of that. So it was pretty challenging early. But like anyone, you, you learn from those that are around you in your office. Then you find out who's working in your marketplace, take them out to lunch, find out a little bit about what they're doing. And I just start modelling some of their behaviour. Found some things that worked really well, some things that I would never do that they yeah. were doing. And you just... 
then through a bit of trial and error and a bit of experience, you, you, you kind of look back and you go, well, wow, it's now two years since I've made that adjustment. It's now five years since I made that adjustment. And when I look back on it now, from 1990 to 95, I probably was just running maybe 80% natural ability, 20% trying to develop. From 95 to 2000, it was the other way around. I was really looking, 80% of my day was, how do I get better? You know, right. Who can I get around to get better? Right. And that started me looking for things and going to conferences, and I became a, a seminar junkie. And I'd be shattered if someone said that there's a real estate trainer or an educator from that day that I hadn't heard of or, or didn't right. know, because I went to absolutely everything I could. Right. Um, you still go to training sessions today too. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So what's behind that? I mean, you you mustn't... I mean, you're a trainer yourself. Sure. And you've got... And we're going to get into it very soon because I want to touch on... Like, I've listened to that CD. You'd sent me the, you know, the top 10 scripts dialogues from your the, the people that you work with. Yes. Um, but you obviously feel that there might be things out there that you don't know or what's the story that you yeah. keep going to training? Look, I think anybody who's very good at what they do is still looking for the next best idea right. that's going to take them, in, in my instance, my career to the next level. And if I can get to another level, I bring my team with me. If I bring my team with me, then I've got a, a really exciting message to share and that's what gets me, I guess, into other offices around the country or, and around sort of, you know, not globally, but certainly Australia, New Zealand, uh, America, the countries I've spoken at. Yeah. It's all about the fact that I've got to find the next step and the next level. And I think anybody who's really good at what they do is still got that inquisitiveness to say maybe there's a new way of doing it a little bit better. So I'm always on that quest. I, I think the day I stop looking for the, the next best thing, Tom, will be the day that I probably check out because it's really what I think is almost mandatory if you want to stay ahead of the pack in this current uh, real estate industry that we're in because the, the marketplace I entered, yeah, totally different to the landscape we deal with right. today. So, Rick, let's go on and talk about um, some of the scripts and dialogues uh, because a lot of the audience I've got, and most of the people that watch uh, these videos are people that are writing 200, 300 in GCI yes. per year. Um, let's talk um, uh, some of the dialogue and language that I really uh, liked uh, hearing you speak about is how to create listing presentations, particularly at uh, Open for Inspections. Is there some dialogue there that you can share with us? Yeah, what I found was, for me, getting into six figures was uh, challenging, but then getting from the next level up required me to probably say nothing too different to what I was already doing, but just sharpening it. So right. I stand at an open for inspection and, and greet people and welcome them. What I had to realise was I had to refine very quickly who was actually coming through that door. Was it a neighbour? Was it a, a genuine buyer? Was it a buyer who had something to trade in? What were they? So I used to try and figure that out, not so much at the open time, but in the follow-up calls. Right. What I realised very quickly was I could save myself a lot of time if I could really drill down quickly as I register them into the open as to what they were. So I'd meet you at an open, I wouldn't know your name yet, I'd just say, welcome, yeah. what are you researching today, sir, buying or selling? And normally you would say, oh, we're just sticky big neighbours, so I'd know that you're a contact for my database. Right. Another typical response might be, ah, well, we're a buyer, we're looking yeah. to get in this area, now I know how to approach you. Uh, the ones I love were the ones who were, well, actually, we're kind of maybe a buyer, but we've got to sell something first. I love those people. Sure. love them. They were the ones that helped me go from, you know, a, a pretty good income to a great income because yeah. I was never missing out on the trade-ins, which I, early on in my career, I just wanted the sale. To okay. actually use that dialogue as a So, strong gang, one. even though this is a free video, I've got to tell you, what Rick has just said there... Um, is worth uh, tens of thousands of dollars if you nail it and you execute it well. And that is 
the ability to segment the person that you're meeting nice and early into what are they, a potential vendor, uh, you know, potential buyer, a, a vendor down the track. And the question that uh, you sort of uh, phrased in your words is, hi, um, I'm curious, are you researching or buying or selling today? Yeah, so, I, so, so, so I actually, just more directly than that, I'd say, so what are you researching, buying or selling? The ones I'm getting at the moment, just back into the market, and this is a good thing for all of your subscribers to understand, Tom, there's now a move back into the market from investors. Right. So when I'd say, so what are you researching today, so buying or selling, they'd say, well, actually, we're looking to invest. Right. That was a, an interesting one because they, they're a different approach again, aren't they? We know yeah. that they're probably going to buy with the calculator much more than the heart or much more than you know, wanting to be in a certain postcode or getting close to a school that they want to educate their children at. These people are just going to make a commercial decision. So I knew with them I had to get them all the selling documentation, give them a, a likely rental projection on what the return might be per annum, yeah. give them some current information on you know, great rates that are out there from all the lenders. Uh, you've got to be careful doing that in this day and age, of yeah. course, with all the rules. But um, you know, I'd, I'd operate totally differently with that particular buyer coming through an open home than I would for someone who just wants to move in because they know the area is good and they want to raise their kids long term. So I'd right. start explaining to them the beauty of this particular property. You probably don't realise it, but the back gate leads out to the reserve over the back so your kids can actually go and play in the park and you can keep an eye on them from the kid. Very different to how I'd speak to the to the investor, very different to how I'd speak to the inquisitive neighbour. They already know the area anyway. Yeah. They're just trying to get a feel for price. Right. So I talk to them about how most homeowners aren't insured correctly for their right. current values, so maybe it's a good time to get a, a market update. That would generate more appraisals for me. So I just found that dialogue alone was a dialogue that not only was working for me, but when I shared it with our coaching group, the people that, that I get to, the great fortune to work with, um, uh, you know, the numbers were st staggering how many of our participants used that question or that dialogue to increase their hit rate in terms of generating more market appraisals, generating more sales effectively. Beautiful. Rick, let's turbocharge now to a listing presentation. Yes. Okay. Uh, let's talk about some of the great questions slash dialogues at a listing presentations you can share with us. What has the research and your surveys of your agents show are really good cut through questions? Yeah, I guess the best ones are asked not at the appraisal but before the appraisal. And, and that's the first point. Yeah, yeah, so the first point of contact, it's all the why, what, the how, the whens, all the, I guess the NLP, the old neuro-linguistic programming dialogue, which uh, for me, I learnt back in the early 90s through a guy called Tony Robbins, and if anyone right. sort of um, just Googles him, you'll find out uh, enough about him for me to have to share anything more would be a waste of time. But the NLP questions are very much getting people in tune to what they value about doing something. Right. So when someone's looking to buy or sell, th we think they're looking to either sell for as much money as they can or sell in the least amount of time or what... What the NLP sort of studies will say to you is that people are doing it to meet a certain value internally. Right. So I try and tune into that as best I can, and I tune in before I broadcast at an appraisal. To do a proper presentation, I have to go armed with all the information. Sure. So, so this is on the phone? This is on the phone, or yeah. however, I've, I might have met them at an open. I said, look, right. we're just around the corner. Right. We know, is this your last open today? Are you able to pop over? Before I even go from where I am to, to their property, I want to know a few things. So the first question I always want to know is why they've chosen. So I just say to them, so Tom, why have you chosen now to sell? Right. The key dialogue there is the word now. Right. They'll tell you maybe two or three responses. It's not 33, they just give you two or three. So I say, Tom, why have you chosen now to sell? You go, well, actually, I haven't chosen now, but the ex-wife solicitor has, so I guess I'm selling. You know, sure. I've gone through a split. I'm hearing there someone who's got a need. The need is probably 
they need to sell, they need to maximise their price, but they need to minimise the stress. They're probably going through a whole heap of legal, legal ramifications. They want us to, as quickly as we can, get them through that process. So I want to talk to them about our time-tested procedure to get them through that. Sure. You know, if they hear time-tested, I sound like I know what I'm doing, he looks like a business person, uh, that's what I need right now. Do I really need the cheapest fee at this minute? No, I just need someone who can take this challenge off my shoulders. So why have you chosen now to sell? Why uh, have you chosen now, now to, to sell? sell? Yeah, keyword is now, because they, they'll say to you, we haven't chosen now, but we're thinking maybe midway through next year. So now I know that I have to try a little bit of decaf. The first one's double espresso. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is a little bit of decaf, isn't it? We've yeah. got to slow that process down a little bit. Why have you chosen now to sell? We've chosen now, it's unfortunate, but you know, whatever I'm hearing there, challenge. I've got to solve their challenge. Their dialogue will tell me yeah. what I've got to do there. Why have you chosen now to sell? It's a really exciting thing. Our daughter has married a guy from in the state. They're giving us our first grandchild. We're going to go up and help them. You know, we want to move to the central country. That's an exciting so is this is this when you mentioned before we got on uh, video, you mentioned a little bit about the, you know, diagnose and prescribe yeah, situation. Do, yeah, absolutely. That's where you're at now. That's it? where I'm at. I'm, I'm, I'm a student of just about every real estate person I've ever been around, but the one who's had a massive impact on me is uh, a great American, again, I don't like using a lot of American examples, but David Knox, in my opinion, is probably the best real estate trainer on the planet, and that's yeah. davidknox.com for, for your subscribers, but not to say that what we do here isn't outstanding as well, but you know, he was very good at pinpointing it for me. Uh, he introduced me to a guy called Dr. Stephen Covey, wrote a great book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. What's the main message out of that book? Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Yeah. Understand what they're going through, yeah. then give them a plan that says, do you, can you see here how I can help you with that challenge? Yeah. So you do a thorough diagnosis before you prescribe anything. So I asked the why, what, so why have you chosen the other cell? What's most important to you, Tom? I'm sure there's lots of things that are important to you in getting your home sold, but what would be the most important thing? Okay, there's another golden question. Uh, what's most important? Because there's a lot of things going on, sure. but what you're doing is trying to help them crystallise and prioritise in their mind. Correct. What's the big one? Yeah, and look, some... Some people that I've heard use similar dialogue, there's nothing new under the sun. This is yeah. a rework of old fundamentals, as we talked about earlier off air. But, you know, some of the ones I've heard used by other trainers, and I'm not here to say what's right or wrong, I just I worry when they say, what you've got to say is, what's most important? I'm sure fees are important to you, and I'm sure the price is important to you, and I'm sure that the experience of your agent is important to you. But what else is it? I don't think you broadcast that. I right. just think you just let them tell you what's important. So rather, because fees might not have been important. To so them. what are the some? I mean, I'm interested. So when you've asked that question and you ask a question, yeah, and you've had your students that ask that question, yes. What are some of the responses you'd get back? Yeah, there's not. Again, it's not 33 things. It's typically the, the big three. They right. normally want to, you know, get a fair indication that they're going to get the most amount of money. Yeah. They want to know what the time frame might be. So yeah. what's most important to them is either maximising price, minimising time, or experiencing little or no stress so the person who's going through the marriage breakup got the bank breathing down their neck has got a real tight time frame they probably want someone who can just pick up the challenge and go and solve it they don't want to know how they're doing it they just want to know that it works so they want the key in the ignition turn the car they don't need to know how the motor works right. they just want the motor to run so they right. want us to do that that's the someone who just says you know effectively that's all i want to do so i'll, I'll ask why they chosen now and what's most important to them although i might if there's somebody who's not giving me a lot of response, in any of the, if they're one or two words short, sharp answers, I'll just say, Tom, you know, what I found over my time in the business, which is a great thing to say no matter how long you've been in the business for, by the way. I mean, if you've been in it for a week or a month or a year or a decade, it doesn't matter. What I found most important in my time in the business, Tom, for sellers like you, potential sellers, you don't want 33 things. You normally want one of three things. That you either want the most amount of money, 
where you want to sell in the least amount of time, or you want to experience little or no hassles. Can I ask, which of those three things, Tom, is most important to you? Right. And then typically what they say is, look, if I can only have one, it's pretty simple. We need to get as much out of this as we can to make sure that we are in a good position not to have to borrow too much down the road. Well, well, I'm curious. And what happens then, Rick? How does the answer to that question help structure what goes on next? Because then that now, we call them case studies today. Back then I used to just give examples of what I used to do. But if they said, it's pretty simple, it's the most amount of money, when I went to see them, I would sit down and go through the, you know, the usual discussions that we have at a listing presentation and I'll say, you know, Tom, earlier today or yesterday when we set up the appointment, you said the most important thing to you was that I could evidence that I could get the most amount of money and I've brought with me a few examples of vendors who wanted it here but I got them there and, you know, as you can see, here's the brochure, this is what they wanted, here's what we got for them and on the back yeah. is their testimonial and they're available to ring if you want to to, yeah. to verify and, um, and I'm curious, Tom, if I was to be your agent of choice, which I'm hoping I can be, what would be the one skill I'd have to have or display in front of you now that would ensure I could get you the most amount of money for your home? I'd normally just let that just filter down. And then they normally say, well, we, you better be able to negotiate. Exactly. So that's why when we get to the fee part of the equation, I can always draw it back to them. So when they say, gee, your fee's pretty high, I'd say, compared to who? Right. Uh, well, compared to X, Y, Z and 1, 2, 3 and A, B, C. Okay, yeah, um, that's probably reflected on these other examples I showed you earlier about how I get more money. So the cheapest agent isn't the one who just spruiks a fee to you, Mr. and Mrs. Seller. It's actually the one who can evidence that they get you more money because right. it's all about netting more, isn't it? About a false saving of maybe $1,500, $2,000 here today doesn't really cut it if you lose twenty grand of equity tomorrow. So remember earlier you said to me you wanted a really good price and I asked you? Yeah, yeah. I asked you what test would I have to, to meet to make sure I could to do that for you said you better know how to negotiate that's why my fee's a little bit high so in in a funny way this fee that kind of troubles you a little bit is indicating that i can do what i said i could do for you which is negotiate the best price for you so i'm glad we covered that and normally okay. they, they, they beautiful i mean you've got me now you've you, you, you've uh, uh, whet my appetite and i actually want to go into that because i actually think once you're at the listing presentation one of the things that i get um agents uh, seem to ask me the most or it seems to be the subject of uh uh, that, that people with a lot of opinions is commission. Oh, you know, yeah. I'm walking away from that business. They can have it at that yeah, rate, yeah. or um, um, I don't want it because it's not clean business. Let's talk about um, once you're at the listing presentation. Yeah. So that's been outstanding. So so far, we've actually been able to talk about dialogue and language at open houses yes. to create more listing opportunities and segment buyers and sellers into different uh, categories. We've been able to do uh, pre-listing conversations and uh, help you understand and diagnose the situation. Now, let's assume, Rick, you're at the listing presentation. Mm -hmm. um, the most common things that come up and the way to handle them, um, obviously um, price and the commission. Yes. And my favourite, of course, marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How can I improve on what you do, brother? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we need four pages, four pages. <laughs> right. Uh, can I talk a little bit about... Um, yeah, when you're asked, and I've heard you use some excellent dialogue when a vendor says the other agent was cheaper. Mm. Um, yeah. So normally what I do in that instance is I want to know who that is. Yeah. And when they, no matter who they say, I just go, ah, oh, yeah, well, look, that's no shock. We all know what we all charge. There's no trade secrets in our industry. So I know what XYZ charges, they know what I charge. I know what ABC charges, they know what I charge. We all know what we all charge. Knowing that to be the case, why wouldn't they just simply match my fee? Why do you feel that they're so compelled to come underneath my fee? Is it possible, Tom, that they know they can't 
compete in the arena of results, so they've got to go into the arena of discounts. I think your decision here today is pretty simple. You've got to decide whether you want a negotiator who can maximise your price or a discount agent who might save you a bit on fees today, but you run the risk of, of course, costing yourself equity tomorrow. So in my opinion, and I'm biased, I think you should be hiring an agent for their negotiation skills, not their discounting mentality. Because if they can discount today to get your listing, that DNA probably shows up in their negotiation with the buyers, doesn't it? There's a yeah. chance they might try and discount your, your price tomorrow. And I know you'd be sitting there saying, but that's okay, we want a million dollars and we won't accept a cent under a million dollars. But you can only accept or reject offers your agent's good enough to bring you. If they can't today show in front of you the skill set that ensures that their fee that they're asking for is value added and yeah. they can sell it, they've got no hope of selling your features and benefits. They're only going to sell one thing today themselves. Yeah. Tomorrow they've got to sell the features and benefits of your home plus all the hopes and aspirations you've got as a seller to maximise the price. They want to be good at it. My, my, my warning to you, forget about discounting mentality. That's not where we're at. We're into maximising prices here at XYZ Real Estate. That's why we think that most of our clients see the value, but it's at the end. So you need to, to probably make a decision on someone today who looks like they can get the job done and question that tomorrow maybe, and let's have that chat later if it doesn't represent good value with the end result. But today you've got to make a decision on discounting or negotiations because I'll let you call that one. Okay, so that is absolute gold. That is press the pause button, go back, watch that bit again. If you're a bit like me, which is slow, <laughs> and you've got to you know, read things over again or watch things over again, that's absolute gold, giving them the choices where essentially they're saying you're either going to pick someone that's a house price maximiser or you're going to pick someone that's a commission discounter. Yeah. And you just did that so beautifully. And I just think that for people to really grasp it, um, if they don't watch it again... Um, and internalise it so they deliver it in their way. They may have lost a golden opportunity that they can use for the rest of their life on fee negotiation. Gold, Rick. Thank you. My pleasure. You know. Rick, um, can I touch on the advertising? Yes. Like, uh, you know, increasingly with uh, the internet being a medium where people can market property, uh, agents are consistently being faced the question of, uh, I don't want to spend any money marketing. Mm. Have you got any useful language or dialogue there? Yeah, look, I think a lot of that stuff gets down to, again, tuning into what they're trying to achieve. And I always bring that back to what I qualified at the start. So you said to me earlier you want to make a move quickly because you want to get to the Central Coast to greet your new granddaughter and, and help your daughter and son-in-law, your daughter go back to work and make all these things happen for you. My question to you is when do you want to be up there when your daughter's our granddaughter's young or when she's starting school because that's how long it can take to sell in certain markets that I'm dealing with. Yeah. Um, so I just ask them how quick they go, oh, we want to be there in a respectable time. I also ask them this, I say, what do you think is a reasonable time to be on the market at the moment? You'll be staggered what they say back to you, Tom. Right. Some of them will say, oh, we think we'll be, everyone loves our home when they come here, we think we'll be on and off the market in a month or a few weeks. Some might say, I could take a while. When I explain to them that, yeah, you're right, you can be off in a few weeks, I can tell you what happens with the, the owners that do that. They're the ones who don't leave anything to chance. They have the three Ps in play. They have their price effective for today's market. They have right. their property presented magnificently. And as you know, there's living condition and selling condition. So yeah. they get their home into selling condition. The third thing is they promote their property effectively, which is right across the spectrum. Because they know that the one buyer who might pay them the, the, the premium price in the, in the time they want 
might not be actively in the buying or selling mode at the moment. We might need to trigger their their interest. So um, depending on what you think is an average time and where you, when you want to be sold by, they go, we're in, we don't want to spend any money on marketing. I'll say, well, that's, so you want to be on, on the three and a half, four month list over here. Let's talk about that then. Right. I can tell you that that's pretty simple. We don't, you know, what, how much does that cost us in the market? Oh, not much at all. So what do we get for that? Not much at all. Right. Uh, it really is an investment back into your own asset to get the result we're looking for if you're prepared to do what these sellers did. So as you can see here, 21 days, uh, 30 days, 14 days. So what are you actually showing them? When and so I'm it? showing them, I'm very visual with my right. presentation, so I'm giving them examples of properties that we promote as a company, and then I'm showing them um, properties that our competitors will promote with their sort of logo, kind of a little bit sort of hopefully um, digitalised to right. a degree where it's not looking so obvious. But uh, I'll just explain to you, if you were sitting in a cafe on a Saturday morning, Sunday morning, yeah, uh, and you saw these two ads... Which one would spark your interest to want to get you into, involved in the buying or selling mode? And you know, I think we'd all agree to be this one, wouldn't it? Okay, so, let's, so we want that type of ad. Let's just pop that aside for a sec. So I, I let them sort of pick out what they like and right. dislike, and then we come back with this cocktail at the end, and we say, so putting all that together, that's $5,500 for our marketplace. That's massive. Right. So, whoa, we didn't want to spend that amount of money. Do you, know, do you understand that that's only going to require us to get one more person to participate in the bidding sequence or the negotiation sequence before that $5,500 could be an extra $50,000? Then I give them the case studies, so I show them how that, how that all works as well. So I get there what they want, typically. Yeah. When I ask them what they want from media, this is what they tell me. It'll be the same for most of your subscribers. They don't tell me what they want, they tell me what they don't want. Right. Oh, we don't want to go over the top with this and we don't want to do this and we don't want to do that. Okay, so what you're telling me is you don't want to be in the top 1% of what's sold in this area because that's what these are. These are the top 1% of what's sold in this beautiful, area. Beautiful. And here's what they did. So here's the property. Owner wanted eight fifty, got nine twenty seven thousand five hundred, and they invested $11,000 in meat. Do you think that 11000 was well spent because they actually trebled their money? There's no one I know who wouldn't see that as being a good value add. So I, I would do it that way. So I show them the result. Here's their media campaign. Here's their testimonial case study. Give them a call. Here's this one. Here's that one. By the way, here's someone who went with another agent, not us. Yeah, went this quiet way. Just you know, everyone loves their home. You know, yeah. People love it. They all want to buy it when they come here. The problem is none of them have a checkbook. They're friends visiting, right? Here's what they've had to say. Yeah, and and, and you need to hear these people. They, they've got a warning. Have you ever spoken to anyone who tried to sell and, and wasn't successful, Tom? What did they tell you? You know, they normally say they they went for the highest price that the agent spruced without yeah. much evidence, and it was seemingly on face value the cheapest sort of media campaign. So I say we want to broadcast a wide media campaign, a combination of electronic and print. Yeah. We can't wait for the day when it's all electronic, but we're not there yet in yeah. this industry. And in fact, we're probably still in that marketplace where the buyer who shocks us still to this day, the buyer who still shocks us is the one that was never even known to us until the negotiations with the intellectual buyer who's been studying the market at all the opens, going to the auctions, staying on every website. They've made their offer, and we cop someone who says, I just can't believe this. When we first moved into the area 27 years ago, this house was a house my wife and I dreamed of buying. We can't believe it's available now. We want to come and have a look at it. We want to make an offer. That happens because they're sitting at a cafe on a Sunday morning having a brunch, and they read a print media ad that they would never have seen if we just went with the electronic media because they're, they're not in that arena. So we want to make sure we're in every arena that these people could be playing in any one moment in time. Absolutely. So sure we get Again, it. excellent dialogue, excellent metaphors where you talk about the buyer that shocks us. 
I think that's 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 powerful the way that yeah, you, you, you've yeah. said it. And I think I think the power in it is the truth in it. Because the they do shock us, don't they? We get a lot of shocks in real estate about. Wow, look at what that sold for. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, we survey all of our clients, both buyers and sellers. You don't get a 100% respondents, you just don't. But we tend to get pretty high levels. For every 10 surveys we send out, we'll get six to seven back around those sort of numbers. The amount of buyer um, feedback that we get, they were saying, it's quite funny how we said, what was the main motivational factor for you making the ultimate decision to buy? The intellectual buyer says, it just, after all of our research, it just represented good value for money. Right. They keep on talking good value for money. I say to our sellers, the intellectual buyer is going to come here with a good value for money offer for them, but not the best value for money for you. Let's have a read of the person who wasn't even in the buying or selling mode, got disturbed on a Sunday morning, got disturbed at a friend's house when they saw a magazine on a coffee table, got disturbed when someone said to them, can you believe this? Have a look at this one. You would love to live here. They said, we weren't even in the buying or selling mode, but when we saw the property, we knew we had to have it and we were prepared to pay. And you know what, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, these are the best buyers because unlike these intellectual buyers, they don't know what's good value for money, they just know what they want yeah. and they pay the figure. Yeah. And so if you've got those case studies, again, the, the dialogue today is case studies, but we were doing it 24 years ago, not even knowing yeah. what the hell we were doing. We are just giving, I guess, social proof. We are just saying this is what's working. So when I started in the business, you know, real estate agents wrote a likely price on the back of a card and handed it to them and smiled yeah. and you probably got the business. Today, the consumer probably knows more about it than we do. The comparables we're showing them, whether they be from the usual industry printout modes from RP data or whatever the like is or your own sales evidence, they, as consumers, probably know those comparables better than you because unlike us, we only see our own listings typically. Yeah. They've seen your listings plus your competitors' listings plus three in the area around them and they know when you're showing them a house, I think... Yeah, this is a good example of that's the probably upper level. They're looking at it going, they don't tell us this, but they look right. at it and they go, we've been through that house. That house is nowhere near as good as ours. If we're starting to broadcast all this sort of wrong stuff, it's crazy what happens. If you just ask them some thoughts, have you seen anything on the market that's similar to yours at the moment? Is there anything that you think is similar to yours that offers an indication of what you might likely receive for your property? They'll say stuff like, we just saw one around the corner, they're asking this, okay, I understand, and you like that? Yeah, that's what they're asking, but here's what the report said it's sold for. Or the other way around. Right. You know, you can do this sort of stuff, but here's what here's what I know about that property. All the intellectual buyers were offering that, but this one passive buyer, the one that we didn't even know, who shocked us, coming out of the blue, here's what he paid. He was $58,000 ahead. Yeah. All of a sudden now, that $5,500 media campaign doesn't seem that expensive, does it? It gave yeah. a 10% return. That was amazing. And by the way, let's read his feedback for him. You can read it here. He wasn't even in the marketplace. He shocked us. We shocked him. Guess who else was shocked? That seller who said, what a great price. So if it's all about maximising your price, that's why we need to talk the holistic media campaign, not just the electronic media, which everyone does. Okay. So I, I think for people to get a lot of value out of this, like I'm going to watch this again tonight myself, because you know, <laughs> I, I really, um, I'm really uh, rating highly um, the commentary and dialogue that you're using. And, um, I mean, I could... You know, like, unfortunately, the attention span of people on videos is around 25, 30 minutes. Sure. So I just want to get, you know, more and more stuff in there. But that was just outstanding dialogue you've given me on on um, fee and on marketing. Um, Rick, your favourite piece of dialogue on that CD that you did 
the top ten. Is there anything else we haven't covered? I'd love oh, to. I just love the closing stuff because at the end of the day... Do you believe in closing? I believe in closing, yeah. I, I believe at some stage you've got to actually ask for the order. I used to do it early on in my career. Tom, when I felt I was going to get a yes, yeah. if I thought I was going to get a no, I'd leave it and just hope that they chose me. But, you know, having been around some of the really good operators and many of them are in our town here in Melbourne and there's many across the country and, you know, for me I've had the great fortune to travel and be around some really, really good ones. When I asked them what was the one thing that they thought they did that their average competitors wouldn't do, they normally would look me in the eye and say, I just I value what I do more than what they could ever value, so that's why I don't have any issue asking for the business. Right. So, you know, the, the one dialogue I love is the dialogue that sort of, you know, I, I pre-frame it by saying, look, I've really enjoyed this last uh, hour of trying to find out what it is you're trying to achieve. And I think I've shown you here, Tom, how I can help you achieve it. Yeah. Um, is there anything that's yet to be covered? Is there anything I've said that might be of concern for you or is there anything that's missing if I get it no no everything's great well fantastic well, look, the next thing that we've got to do now is just authorise this go forward plan Yeah. so my go, go forward plan just requires as you can see here I've already taken the liberty of starting to fill it out so we're the agents you're the seller here's what we've agreed to sell the property here's how we're going to do it anything there that is not consistent with our thinking here Tom you'd normally go no that's fine and now a good agent might go well I'll leave that with you and when you're ready just sign it and uh, get it back into our office I just never leave now without asking I just look them in the eye and I say Tom I've really enjoyed it this sounds like the plan have I done enough sir to earn your business and I'd throw my hand out like that and I'd look them in the eye and I'd I, I just expect to get a handshake and I go, great, so all I need you to do now, authorise here, second copy's yours, and we'll get things underway. I, I would actually say that that's the dialogue that took my income from a pretty respectable level to an over-the-top level, because I, I didn't ask it when I felt I'd get a yes, I didn't ask it when I thought I might get an okay, I actually asked it every time, and I was okay living with a, uh, you, you're kind of close, but you're not close enough yet, so right. I, if, have I done enough? Right. The good news is they'd say... I would tell you early on, it felt like maybe every second person said, yeah, I had, and I, I was excited by that. As I got a little bit more competent around that and maybe a bit more confidence around it, and I was congruent, being that I believe what I was saying, yeah. I think it went you know, more like 7 out of 10 and so on and so forth. And now, again, it's not a great example for me to give because I'd be it's it's a fake stat but you know because like nine times out of ten I'm going in front of people I've already dealt with before so it's pretty easy to ask it but I can tell you back in the day when I was not too sure about whether or not real estate was even for me once I'd learned that dialogue and I started bringing that dialogue into my career I watched it incrementally someone asked me this year in an interview similar to this time how much do you reckon that dialogue's given you? And I've said it, it, it's eight figures, I know that. Right. I couldn't give you the exact figure, but I know it's eight figures because my income went from like here to there to there and just kept on increasing. The more I kept on getting competent around, have I done enough to earn your business? And you had to look them in the eye, right. you had to put the hand out, and you had to believe it. What a lot of agents struggle with when I coach them through that, they know the dialogue, have I done enough to earn your business? And they go, Tom, I've enjoyed this last hour getting to know you, learning what you're trying to achieve. I think I've given you a solution here and... I'm hoping you're okay with it, and it's, it's pretty consistent, isn't it, with what we've talked about? And um, so, uh, I've only got one more question to ask, and is that um, have I? Uh, could we? Uh, yeah, good luck with Ray White. Like they, they yeah, live yeah, out. Yeah. You know, words without conviction are just empty air. Yeah. So you've got to make sure that we've put some real belief in it and some real certainty around it, and that's the benefit you get from having experience if you've got it. 
or getting around people who've got experience. And you, you watch how they carry themselves. You watch how they shake a person's hand. They, they shake their hand like they expect to get the business. They're yeah. not there hoping that they'll get the business. They're not lining up for this in this arena. They're not at the start line hoping they get the listing. They're lining up expecting to get the listing because they're prepared well, yeah. qualified, yeah. done a thorough diagnosis. Now what they're prescribing meets that. Yeah. And if they, if they get a negative, they're saying, what have I missed here? What have I not hurt? And they just add it and add it and add it, and then they close. That dialogue, have I done enough to earn your business, is the one that's probably had the biggest impact okay. for me. Um, outstanding, and I don't want to underplay the bit that uh, Rick talked about leading up to have I done enough to earn your business. It was actually really nice, simple, and it had no like bad feeling about it, which is, you know, here's the go-forward plan. It wasn't, uh, here's an agency agreement that ties you up for the next uh, 90 yeah, days true. and there's a small possibility <laughs> I could be the agent from hell. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was, it was very nicely done. Um, and I think that people should practice this stuff. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, practice, yeah, yeah role-playing was something I didn't know about until I was in the business. Of, I role-played early on in my career. The problem was I was role-playing in the market. Right. So every stuff-up was costing my company at the time $2,660 on average. Um, today, it could be 20000 in the marketplace. So role-playing is where I got much better at what I do, that's for sure. And um, like every elite professional, you know, pilots go into simulators to learn how to fly better. Yeah. You know, doctors go back into you know, the theatre to practice on, you know, uh, in different scenarios. Uh, why don't we as real estate professionals? That's why I go to a lot of conferences. That's why I get around people that I think are thought leaders in our, in our industry like you. And I don't say that to impress you because you're here. I, I say that because I genuinely believe that. Well, so, thank you. You know, from that particular standpoint, that's why we do what we do. So, Rick, can I just touch on... We, we, so we've covered a bit of dialogue, the thinking behind the dialogue. Tra- Role-playing, you, you, you would do it with someone else? Absolutely, In, in the yeah. office? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, for me, early on, the, the challenge was there was no real, as we said earlier, no real Australian examples of, of dialogue. So I started recording myself, just talking to myself, just to, A, to hear what I sounded like, and B, to see if, if I was listening to that. If I was, if I was tuning into that broadcast, would I actually be on the same frequency? So what I did was, you and I might work in the same office. I'd say, hey, Tom, you and I, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 15 minutes, we're going to get in before everybody else, 7.45, let's call it that. 15 minutes, I'm going to role-play with you some of the challenges where I'm not closing well, I'm not getting VPA, I'm not getting prices in line with what the market reality is, and I want you to be as tough as you can and give me the feedback and vice versa. So that's how I used to start with a colleague in the office, and then we'd start getting high-tech, we'd video it, we'd look at each other, and we'd really assess it. We'd go, look there when you asked for the business, look, you looked away. Right. So you, you didn't have the... You didn't have the lock on. You didn't, you know, so that really made it very good for me anyway to see a visual learning tool. And I'm a visual learner, so I need to see it. Yeah. Um, so you know, from that particular standpoint, role playing today, in my opinion, and look, I still do it. Uh, we're role playing really today, aren't we? Yeah. And for, if it's good enough for someone that that's been in the business for a couple of decades, it's probably good for someone who's been in for a couple of minutes. You should be role playing pretty regularly, and new people in our office have to do it consistently in terms of that. Okay, Rick. Um, this has been um, outstanding. Um, two or three final tips. If oh. Rick Rushton was meeting Rick Rushton yep. on his first day in real estate, what's the advice you'd give Rick Rushton? Um, first advice would be to work hard on your skills. Yeah. Uh, you know, everyone wants to give good service, but you can get good service. I got good service when I when I arrived here from Julie downstairs. He smiled and greeted me. That made me feel good, but it's not going to be worth twenty grand. Yeah. Okay. So work on your skills would be the first thing I would suggest. Second thing is to work on your skills. They're interlinked. Find someone who's 
very good at what they do and take them out to lunch, pay, yeah. don't order anything, just have a pen and a journal and take lots of notes and listen to what, and, and ask them what, what are the, what's the two or three things they do every day that works for them. And it yeah. might be as simple as saying they show up a little bit earlier, they stay a little bit later, they change their voicemail message every day. Who knows what the tip might be, but you know, I'd learn that. And the last thing I would do is just always be inquisitive, be on the search, be yeah. on the search, be on the search. So when a brochure comes for a elite performer that says, I'm in town, come and spend an hour or two with me at a yeah. real estate gym. Yeah. You don't look at it and go, probably won't change my career, so I'll just stick with it maybe see if I can generate a listing. Yeah. You're better off saying, I'm inquisitive. This guy's very good at what he does. Yeah. I'm going to go find out what he does. This gal's very good at what she does. I'm going to go find out what it is that she does. So you know, that would be the three things. Work on your skills, get around really good, talented people, find out if you can model anything that they do that, that can work for you. and and always be inquisitive. The day I'm not inquisitive, brother, is the day I, I, I don't wait for anyone else. I just sack myself and get out and do something else. All right. Uh, outstanding stuff. Rick Rushton from uh, First National and also Insight Training. Yep. Have I said it right? Insight Personal Development. Insight Personal Development. InsightPD.com.au. InsightPD, you know, look it up. You, you, you've, you've, got, got you've got a taste of Rick Rushton. You can tell this stuff, um, it resonates. Um, thank you so much, Rick. Pleasure. Thanks, Tom. Thank you.